0: And one of the things we talk about is pay yourself first, but make sure you are looking after you're doing a personal forecast as well as the business forecast to make sure that if the business goes wrong, you have taken enough out to put yourself in a decent financial position in the good years.
1: You're listening to the Catching Clients podcast, where the smartest minds from the world of professional services and marketing come and share the strategies that they use to consistently attract and catch their ideal big fish clients so you can learn to do the same. So grab your gear and join me, Adam King, the captain at Thing Like a Fish and creator of the Client Catching Ecosystem, and let's go fishing. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. I am delighted to be joined on today's episode by my guest, uh, Craig Palfrey. Craig's a uh, certified financial planner. He's a chartered wealth manager, an international speaker on finance, and a managing partner of Penguin. He started in financial services in 2000 and considers himself extremely fortunate that he's found his vocation. Uh, even uh, when I asked him what he does for fun, he actually said work. So you know, it's clear to see he truly loves what he does and he's devoted to his clients and you know, consistently improving his his, uh, his skill set and his service. And I guess it's his commitment to his craft which has seen Craig reach um, reach that certified plan, uh, financial planner status because that's a level of qualification that only one percent of the world's financial service professionals reach. And not only that, he was recently voted as the top financial planner in Cardiff by vouchfor.co.uk, which is an independent website where um, clients can review their own financial planner. Now, he's passionate about sharing the benefits of good financial planning. And on top of all the other things he has on his plate, he's also found time to author not just one, but two books, The Wealth Secret and The Business Secret. Now, I could go on, but basically Craig is doing a lot of things right when it comes to serving his clients and running his business, and is why I'm delighted that he's going to be sharing his story today. So, without further ado, Craig, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Good stuff. Now, Craig, I've just given um, a brief intro about who you are and what you do, but why don't you give us um, a little bit more detail, um, you know, your story, how you got to where you are today, what you do, and who you help?
0: Well, how do we get to where we are today? Um, yeah, I, th- I think as for, I'm sure it's for most people, especially in our profession, is there's a bit of luck, a um, bit of right place, right time. Um, and just stumbling across it, I think not enough people, it, it's certainly not a career path that school ever mentioned, becoming a financial planner or a financial advisor. <laughs> uh, a big challenge nowadays, but mm. one of the big insurance companies I having a big recruitment drive in Cardiff back in 98. Um, I took an, a job with them initially And after the three months, I did two of the exams in this profession. And after three months, they told us they weren't ready for our department or we were going to be doing temp work for 12 months. And when I asked if I could do the third exam that I'd heard about, they said no. And we were effectively going to be working for their temp. So I decided to go back to my old job at the old direct inquiries, for those who remember 192. Um, (laughs) I went back there because I was actually getting paid a bit more there. And then about a year later, my uncle, who's an accountant in Cardiff, um, I bumped into him and he said to me... uh, uh, your mother tells me you've got FBC 1 and 2 and I said yeah he said do you know what they are I said not really I said but if you want me to talk about mortgages or pensions or insurances I certainly feel like I've got a great understanding of them and he just knew a firm locally who were looking to take on a compliance junior I went for the job got the job and the rest is history as they say
1: yeah it's funny isn't it that um, so many people that you talk to me being one of them um, the amount of us that uh, sort of fall into what we do and as you say, it's not always something that's, uh, that, that's taught in school, but when you fall into something and you find it, and you know, I don't know if you, if you instantly fell in love with it or if it's something that as you develop that mastery, as you've gone along, that's when the passion starts to kick in and you really start to see the impact that it has on people and you know, the people that you help. Is that, is that sort of how, how your journey went?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I've been asked this. So there's, I'm, I'm part of an international organisation called MDRT, and I've been asked to speak at their top of the table conference in Texas in September. So I've just been trying to put something together for that because they want me to sort of, they've asked me to pick a topic and then I've decided to sort of relate it to my story. And as I was trying to write the story, actually, it all starts when I was 21 on my first lads holiday in Magaloo. Um, <laughs> I just remember I'd just left Legal and General, the company I referred to earlier, and I was just on the balcony and a friend of mine said, oh, what, what happened to that job? I knew I'd gone for a job, you know, close friend. we have been together you know, friends 15 years or so. And I we just spent this hour over a couple of drinks admittedly on this balcony because we finally realised that we shouldn't be going out at seven o'clock in the evening because most people don't go out till 12. So we'd finally, three nights in, we'd finally work that out. So we sat on the balcony just having a, a drink or two, getting ourselves ready. And we just lost an hour when I just started talking about this magic of, I'd learnt about, about compounding and in, an income protection, this gift called income protection and how pensions can save people so much tax and as I look back, it was that moment when I realized I just, what a great professional or industry this this could be. But I just had no clue how to get into it. And now as I look back, I'm just so glad I found it because I do literally now, it's taken a while to get here, but I now literally do sit on my bum all day, drink tea and ask people to tell me about their lives. And mm. it's actually very, little, a lot of people assume there's number related, but it's actually very little to do with numbers. Mm. It's about getting people to understand where they want to get to what have they accumulated so far and what can they afford to accumulate in the future to help them get there and then showing them whether, the, you know, whether they're on track or not. And along the way, there are little extras like tax strategies and, you know, but financial planning is actually very simple and someone cleverer than me coined it in three simple sentences. You've got to encourage people to spend less than they earn. Hmm. Like that was against disasters and then invest the rest wisely. And if you can do that, um, then everyone everyone can sort of create wealth, they equivalent to the wealth for themselves. The challenges I think, for anyone the age of 50, maybe, is that say spending less than they earn is the challenge.
1: Mm, yeah. And, you know, I can testament to that. Um, you know, two young kids, all the rest of it. And, you know, it's, it's tough sometimes. You know, you've got to get, you know, you've got to do, you know, you've got to do what's right in the, in, during the time and at the same time consider the future. It's, it, it's a fine balance.
0: Absolutely and that's what we talk about in our in our book the business secret is about paying yourself first i think if you can automate savings i think you will then live within the rest of your budget so if for example you have two thousand pound a month of net income coming in you should decide on a figure that you're going to save not wait till the end of the month to see what's left because you will spend all of it mm. just have that direct debit or whatever work contribution whatever it might be for you just saving that 100 200, whatever it might be a month and make it go first you mm. then that that's where the discipline comes in and that that is you, quite right that is a challenge because you know the generation coming through well including myself are the now generation we want it all now we don't mm. none of the days where people saved up before they bought the nice telly or the iphone or the whatever it was twenty, thirty years we've created the big deposit on the house nowadays we buy it now and we put it on hp and we just have another direct debit you look at spotify amazon prime all that stuff mm. that's what we pay all that first instead of paying ourselves
1: yeah i kind of look i think i've heard it termed the 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 netflix generation in terms of you know everything's on demand everything's now you can have it if you think it you can have it you can you know finance it stick it on a credit card all that kind of stuff and you know that that sort of do you see with your clients that 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 kind of mentality or do you see people that come to you and they've gotten into that place where they're in such a, a habit of sort of having everything now but not accumulating to the future that you know, with your experience, you can see the financial disaster coming, but they just can't get out their own way to see it.
0: I think I think that's tough for me to comment on directly. Majority of, due to the early marketing and catching of clients that I did at the start of my journey, majority of my clients are fifty-five plus. Mm-hmm. What I can say is I can say that nearly every one of those people that I've helped over the last fifteen to twenty years who have got some kind of what I would call financial freedom nearly every one of them started saving young whether it was being forced to through the old types of pensions that existed sort of gold plate pensions whether it was just savings they made themselves into the old prudential man or pearl man knocking the door and making them save the 10 pound 20 pound 40 pound a month most people with independent wealth outside of maybe the odd business owner or someone who's inherited money but the average person I help who's got some kind of financial stability in their, their sort of 55 plus years has come through starting that journey and I think as I do meet some of their kids and do see the odd younger clients you're quite right it's harder for them to actually knuckle down and find that disposable or as a friend of mine Andy Hart coins it breakout income that they will act, can actually afford to save on themselves because every time there is a spare 50 pounds 100 pounds whatever it might be well let's go to Nando's for our tea this week or let's have delivery or, or whatever it might be hmm. rather than thinking what can I do to do something today that my future self will thank me for
1: yeah and i i heard something or read something as well that's um it's sort of a lot of people are looking at and and it's the it's the great wealth transfer that, that is potentially coming down and is that something that you think is in the back of people's minds whether they realize it or not in terms of the the value that's tied up in a lot of people's property and houses for example and they're not necessarily releasing it and they're staying there and then what's going to happen, you know, as, as nature takes its course that, you know, that the kids are going to inherit it. And therefore they're kind of looking at that and going, I don't really need to do anything.
0: I think you make a great point there. And, and unfortunately over the years of uh, dealing with the younger client, they do usually when we're doing their financial planning, do want to factor in for an inheritance. And I think what I tried to point out to them is firstly, people like me, if they're doing their job properly, are telling them to spend more money. Hmm. Because a lot of that generation, because they were brought up as savers and brought up at a frugal time, they are. Str- they, you know, they keep saying now they're still saving for a rainy day, and sometimes I have to say to them outside <laughs> the window, it's pouring down. You know, you're, yeah. in second, you're in the later stages of your life with all due respect. If you don't save it, you're going to have a problem. But the thing that these young youngsters then are not take into account. But if their parents, and I hope it doesn't happen. Obviously, but if their parents go into care for five, ten years. Mm. Um, then a lot of that wealth could disappear that way. Um, and inheritance tax is becoming a bigger and bigger problem for the, as that wealth, I mean, that's why I think the government have been very clever about saying, they haven't increased what we call the mill rate band. I mean, maybe we're getting a bit too technical for this, Adam, but um, they, they haven't changed that $325,000 allowance that every individual UK has got to leave to their kids. Mm. Because as you quite rightly say, as this supposed wealth transfer happens over the next 10 to 20 years, That allowance means more and more people will pay inheritance tax. At the moment, there's only about somewhere, depending on which figures you believe, somewhere between three to five billion a year paid inheritance tax. And that's a scary figure in itself. Mm. As part of the tax take, that's actually less than a couple of percent. Mm. I would suggest that in 15 to 20 years, by just this wealth transfer happening, as more and more of the 60 to 90-year-olds start to leave us, or maybe Mm. 100 and beyond, (laughs) as that money comes down, there will be huge amounts of tax loss, and Mm. that's three to five billion will very quickly become 20 30 40 billion i think and i think that's why the government being very cute with their inheritance tax approach
1: so i guess if there was one thing that you could sort of say to people is have you thought about your uh, you know your estate your your succession planning your you know it's, it's not the subject that anyone really wants to think about or talk about but you know i'm sure there are things that that you help people do and organize that will minimize the impact of that kind of thing both you know, for the, you know, for the people that are going to be around to receive it. Or as you say, you've worked bloody hard all your life. Why don't you enjoy it?
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the conversation I have more often than not is, you know, again, you haven't spent money this year or this month. What How it's been how often I'm seeing them. Why aren't you doing more? Well, we are doing anything we want to do. We've ticked off a load of stuff. There's only so much we can do. And I try to encourage them to give the money to the kids now if needed, but they're reluctant to do that just in case that rainy day rains even more. Mm. But yes, I mean, I, built my original business that's become the penguin business so during this that time on public speaking on that exact topic of estate planning how to protect your wealth and tr- trust are a massive part of what we do to help where so that when the money does go to the bloodline hopefully it's inherent tax efficient if it's hopefully it's paid minimal tax if any but then more importantly which is the big concern for most of that 60 plus age brackets they are worried that when it passes down to the kids firstly the kids won't use it wisely hmm. but secondly more importantly as, the, as their children unfortunately go through the divorces and bankruptcies that may come. They want to make sure that it's not part of a divorce settlement or a bankruptcy settlement. They want to make sure their grandkids get to dance with it. Mm. Um so it's a it's a it's a tough, it's a tough one, but there's a lot of mentalities you're trying to change in that generation and the younger generation. And mm. um it does become an intergenerational conversation when you can get them all involved. But mm. I think the kids have got to knock around the heads because if mum and dad do live to the sort of 90 to 100 years of age that people are talking about, that means the kids won't get it until they're 70, 80. If they haven't saved any money themselves, they will be waiting, they you know, they won't have a chance to enjoy it themselves potentially. Yeah, absolutely. And they need to make sure they've done something for themselves.
1: Yeah, and, and I I I sort of I think some of the the, the things that you covered there, and, and maybe it's it's a misconception that that people have around financial planners, and it's something that you touched on earlier, is is it's not just about the numbers because what you've described there, it's 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 somebody's life. It's somebody's world. It's some, you know, it's, it's not just about, right, we're going to move money around into various different things, or we're going to, you know, put a certain amount aside um, and just look at numbers. What you've really just described there is it's an entire generational thing. It's a life cycle and it's a way of thinking about how you go through life and being at different stages and what are your needs at those various stages. And do you think that's a, that's a misconception around what you do, that you wish you could, you know, if, if you could literally stick a sign up and say, stop thinking this, this is what we do. Is, is that fair to say that that would be something that you would like to correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, they, you know, people quite often say to me, Craig, I'm surprised you keep telling, or Penguin keep telling me to spend more money. I thought you were in the business of taking money off us and making us work think Theoretically, for the business point of view, the selfish point of view, yes, we want. So managing your money but my experience tells me that even if we t- took some of the income from the assets that you hold with us it'll still be there because you won't spend it all i'd love you to but it, you you know you just won't um but there is this misconception that we're here to make them save more money and not allow them to spend their money and i think that's why the financial planning movement is getting stronger and stronger over the last sort of five to ten years as as this message slowly unfortunately eeks out there Mm. but we're still tired with this brush of 20 years ago about the endowment mis-selling scandal the pension mm. mis-selling scandal which were weren't really scandals endowments were great tools there it was just a problem with the way some insurance companies started running the underlying investments and the pension scandal was actually miss maggie thatcher's fault from 35 years ago um, <laughs> but the industry got tired with doing something wrong but actually it wasn't but mm. uh, maybe that's not for today but uh yeah i think that's <laughs> a, that is a great people that think we're in this business of making them pay for insurance they don't need, and we're in the uh, business of making them save and invest more than they need to, and that's certainly not the case in, in certainly in Penguin's eyes.
1: Yeah, well, maybe if I uh, ever ever do a podcast about uh, politics or uh, anything like that, we can get into the Thatcher years. But <laughs> you know, um, I mean, do you see a difference? Because a lot of the people that, uh, that listen to this podcast, they'll they'll be running their own business, um, which will mean that they're in a different situation as, as say, compared to somebody that's a, you know, a salaried employer and, and that's how they sort of, you know, uh, generate the majority of their income. Do you, do you see a difference between people that are running businesses and what they need to think about as compared to um, those that don't?
0: Absolutely. I mean, that was why we wrote the second book, The Business Secret. So The Wealth Secret was kind of our, let's write that for our traditional client about how to get in the, it was more for the client. Clients' kids to get that book out there. as a bit of our legacy, but to help our twenty to forty-year-old clients of the of our kids of our clients, sorry, to help mm. them start to understand how their parents got in this position. Mm. The business secret was written because we've obviously created this biz. Penguin is a sort of ten-year work now, coming up to ten years next year, um, and we've learned a lot along the way. He made some mistakes, and the one thing that sort of dawned on me a couple of years ago was how if a client rang me or emailed or rang to speak to the office, I could very quickly recall what they'd done for their own financial position, where their products were, um, what conversations we'd had about their future. But I actually then realized that although I knew the business numbers inside out, I actually didn't know my own numbers that well because mm. uh, I concentrated so much on running the business and planning for the business. And I had p- business forecasts. I hadn't sat and looked at my personal forecast and that was quite, common across business owners we deal with it, because the business did, does have a lot of clients who own businesses by default mm. so we wrote the business sequel to show and share our journeys on how on our journey on how to help improve your business as we've done lots of reading and, and, and various things conferences and stuff we've done over the years but we then wanted to put some financial themes in it and one of the things we talk about is pay yourself first but make sure you are looking after you doing a personal forecast as well as the business forecast to make sure that if the business goes wrong you have taken enough out to put yourself in a decent financial position in the good years. Because we all know businesses will have good and bad years. You've got to plan for the bad years and you've got to make sure in the good years you benefit accordingly. Does that, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's one of the things that I often um, sort of say is especially when you're, you're running a business that involves serving other people and other clients, you do end up spending a lot of time sort of focusing on, you know, serving those and getting the best for those. And you don't then necessarily serve yourself first you don't think about yourself there's that whole sort of saying of uh, you know that the cobbler's kids don't have shoes and even when you do what you do it doesn't necessarily mean that you you're the best at doing it for yourself and I think you touched on it there um personally I'm I'm guilty of it the same I I my own marketing hasn't always been as I do it for others um because I'm always focused on, on 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 helping them first um and I think that yeah when you run a business you're very much in it and you don't necessarily think about it being an extension of your own self your you know your personal uh, situation your you know, your family situation and and what impact that could have if it changes and that's where i think you know it's it's vital really to to consider those possibilities and and have someone in your corner to really you know i guess it's it's being able to have someone in your corner that can see around corners and I'm guessing that's kind of what you do.
0: Absolutely. And then when, when we do the business clients who come to us, who you know, are business owners like yourself, that, you know, they, when we point out a few things and they go, well, why did my accountant tell me this? And so well, most accountants, unfortunately, and I don't, I don't mean to cast any aspersions about other professions, but most accountants are there to just literally do your numbers and your compliance that satisfies mm. HMRC. Not enough of them understand pensions because why would they? There's not a qualification for accountants or a many modules to talk about pensions because that's our job. And because mm. the professions generally are not working as closely as they could again people at firms like ourselves are trying to change that. But there's not enough working together and coming together. Um that people are suddenly go, oh why did my accountant tell me It not seem to be fair, It's actually not their job. But yes you're right. They could have said you oh, by the way, if you want to be more tax efficient as a business owner, you could have had the company pay X into a pension or you could have paid your life insurance through the business and had tax relief on it rather than paying it out of net income that's already been taxed. But that's not actually their job unless you pick mm. the accountant in the first place for that for the advice piece that actually doesn't happen and because they they don't refer, going back to misconceptions because they, they don't refer to us for whatever reason mm. when you see us at the bottom of the chain because of the, the couple of things that happened many years ago there's there is this disconnect and i think business owners unless they do stumble across someone like yourself with good messages like this out or something like we're, you know, we're about to launch our own podcast in a couple of weeks time um the, the specifically aimed for business owners I think um that there is there's not enough information out there, and it goes back to the schooling system hmm. you know patient is supposed to be on the curriculum uh, sorry financial education is supposed to be on the curriculum but that still hasn't really reached the schools in any way shape or form and some of this stuff could really be taught at, a, at the early levels about hmm. the benefits of compounding the benefits of um tax relief and how to use, you know, these things should be taught at, the, at that early level because otherwise unless they come to someone like us and stumble across someone like us or a very good accountant. They just don't get that information until it's too late.
1: Mm. Yeah. And, um, again, that could be another podcast in of itself, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the whether the school system prepares people for real life or not, or, uh, you know, is still in the uh, the old Victorian times, teaching people to sit in a factory. I don't know. Um, that's, <laughs> that's my own thought of it, and uh, I, I could go off on a right tangent, which I'm not going to, but, um, <laughs>
0: yeah. you know, I, I, I agree. But I mean, that's why we did the books, that we don't, you know, people, someone asked me if they would you know, what does the book cost? We give the book away, have it, because we just want more people to get the message, to get some advice and plan early. Hmm. Because, like you say, the schooling system is not—you know—is not teaching that stuff.
1: Yeah, and is that a way that you? uh, Obviously, it's—it's there just as a as a way to educate people. Um, But you know, obviously, when people are are more educated about um, you know what you do, it it it, it's more of an encouragement to potentially look into. uh, being a client, becoming a client, that kind of thing. Is that one of the ways that you've used? Have you used your book as a, as a, as a lead generator for your business, or um, how's that worked? Hey, it's Adam here with a quick interlude. Just to say that I really hope you're enjoying this episode of the Client Catching Podcast. And if you are, great, I'd really appreciate a five-star review and just a comment on where you're listening from and what you're getting out of the podcast. Now, you could drop that over on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to your podcast today. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can get all the updates as they come out. And if you want to engage with other business owners that are enjoying this podcast, then you can join the Catching Clients private community. It's our private Facebook group where smart business owners learn how to get more predictability, more profit and more leverage. So head over to facebook.com slash group catching clients and join today. And lastly, if you want to see how you can build your own client-catching ecosystem, then you can watch my new free on-demand masterclass training called Less Selling, More Clients. Um, you can do that if you go to thinklikeafish.co slash pc less dash selling. You'll get the roadmap to systemizing and scaling your firm. That will increase your influence. Uh, consistently get you in front of ideal prospects automatically follow up with your leads while growing your network and pipeline so you can add four to 12 of the right clients each month and that's all without spending a penny on advertising or adding more hours to your week so again i really hope you're enjoying the uh, the, the content here today i'd love to see you in our community and i can't wait to help you catch more clients so now back to the show
0: yeah so i i i we wrote the wealth secret as a ultimately it was to be our uh, to be that legacy, something that could was timeless and could last beyond us or last beyond our lifetimes. That was the original thinking. So we did launch it into the market, we did sell it to start with, and then all the proceeds went to charity at a book launch. Um, it didn't generate the PR, right? Luckily, I thought it might. Um, so the business secret was written more as a lead generator. We, we were moving into the business market more, more though, not, I'm not personally I, I deal with a few but I'm not personally involved in that look at the younger market as I said but the other advice the other advisors and the advice team and the other partners in Penguin are, are wanted to be and they felt that was the sort of sweet sweet spot they wanted to t- sweet spot they wanted to target before. So we wrote the business secret as a as a lead generator. Um so we use it in a number of ways and then we did the videos that go with it to if anyone's lazy and they just want to watch the videos with summaries. The videos are out on LinkedIn and on the website just summarising each chapter. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was that was deliberately to be a bit more of a lead generator, and it has worked. Mm. Um, when I read a book, it uh, must be six years ago now. Uh, so probably the best book I've read that's helped us catch more clients was a book called "The Key Person Influence" by Daniel Priestley. Have You come across that?
1: Oh yes, yes I have.
0: And I was just reading some of the examples he has in that book, and he talked about being a, being a perceived expert and that was where the idea came from and it took a while before i got to it but it has as you now know it has now happened as we've written the two books um, yeah. and i would say we just i would two years after we've written the first one maybe two and a half years now i think we're now seeing the fruits of that mm. that labor it certainly didn't explode at the start it wasn't like suddenly all of a sudden all these people suddenly oh, i've seen you've written a book can i come can i come and talk to you i've read it or mm. had, we had a few but nothing major it's but more and more you mentioned earlier on, and more. When people come in and they say, oh, why did you pick us on vouched for? I suppose five years ago it would have been because you had the most reviews or you, I liked what clients said about you. But now people say, oh, I saw you'd written a book. Mm-hmm. If they have done general web, you know, looked on the web generally for financial advice Cardiff or whatever the, the key terms are, when they probably get our website along other websites, and a number of people have since said, oh, well, I saw you'd written a book. But then weirdly enough, we had a chap pop in last week and he said one of his colleagues had the book, left it lying around, he took it, he borrowed it and read it. And he then decided, even though his firm have got an in-house financial advisor, he actually decided to come to us because he'd like the fact that we've written a book. So it certainly has helped from a marketing and lead generation point of view. And I would encourage anyone to do it. Just don't expect to maybe see immediate results. Unless you got, I suppose unless you're going to throw a, a lot of money behind it from the start mm. and get it out there.
1: Yeah. And I think almost in a way it comes back to a little bit what we were discussing earlier, which is there's a there's an on demand instant gratification mentality. And what you've sort of touched on there is that sometimes in order to do something that's going to have a longer term effect, you know, making the comparisons between financial advice and and building a business. It's kind of like, right, I'm investing in an asset now that is going to grow over time. And not everything that you do when it comes to growing your business, improving your marketing, is going to you know, is going to lead to um, you know living the laptop lifestyle and working from a beach, which is the, the the impression that every or a lot of Facebook adverts seem to offer people. It's it's like instant, throw this up on Facebook and be a millionaire tomorrow, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's an investment, and your business is also an investment. It's one of the assets that you can create that will support your wealth, but you still have to invest in it. You have to have different parts of your business that are going to bring in different you know, different revenue at different times. And also, I mean, I, I, I created something um, fairly recently, which is why your marketing is very much like an investment portfolio. You have different risk factors associated to different uh, tactics, but if you don't have a strategy that links everything together, you can't. You don't know whether you can t- be you know, take a bit more of a risk on on something. You don't know if you could make an investment in, um, you know, uh, I don't know, um, a, a, a an emerging market fund as opposed to a more solid, um, you know, blue chip fund, for example. Um, and you need to have that balance. It's almost like that. Um, that pie chart, that sort of, you know, how do you divide your portfolio of your investment? It's also how do you divide the portfolio of the way you go out and market? Um, yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of parallels and, and you know, it's, it's, it's why I <laughs> I really quite like, in, you know, talking to uh, to people that work in, in financial planning because there's so many similarities in, in just the sort of the way that you can look at it. Um, and I think, yeah, having a book, I mean, how do you stand out? How, how do you show that? Because there's a lot of financial planners. There's a lot of people that do marketing. There's a lot of people that do, a, you know, a, you know pretty much every service that's out there. So how do you show that you're different? How do you prove your expertise? And I think, yeah, having having that book is, yeah, it's a longer term investment. But as you see, you know, as you've said, you're, it's starting to pay dividends. Um, is there, is, you know, what, what else has worked pretty well for you to sort of over the years growing your business? Has there been anything specific or has it just been, you know, Hard graft, doing good work, how's it worked?
0: Um, I think if I had to start all over again, the first thing, the first marketing strategy I would personally implemented and still do to this day is public speaking. I think um, the first proper business I was in in this profession many years ago, as I, as I, after I did the compliance stint, I, I stumbled across a national business um, when I needed to make a decision for my, the next decision for myself. And they were a business that were built purely on marketing. They taught me a huge amount about marketing. They, they, had, they wrote for the national press. They did question and answers for the national press, a couple of connections for various newspapers that generated activity. But the thing that I took from them and then developed and became the main state of marketing for me when I first started was seminars. Um, hmm. They didn't do it very well. As I look back in terms of the, how they did it, in terms of getting bums on the seats, but I sort of copied what they did and then improved it. And when I left them in 2006 we took that basic concept and improved on it through research and through having the right team around me. And we just, we, 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 they were getting 12 to 15 people in a room and we certainly went to getting 50 to a hundred people in a room and that just catapulted us. Um, We were giving plenty of stuff away. We, you know, we get, we shared the basic concept the basic ideas, but by the end of the event, you'll be, you're you're immediately a trusted expert effectively. Mm. And many of the people in the room wanted, uh, wanted wanted you to look after them. And I mean, obviously that was the point of the seminar to show that we could help. But it was the, for me, it was the best. Mm. Yeah, I, I stopped public speaking. We don't, we don't do the paid seminars anymore. We used to buy the old mailing lists and you know, just mail out and hope that people would come. Probably mm-hmm. stopped that around 2011, 2012 as I saw the return on investment slowly uh, slowly dying a death. But I've been invited tomorrow to speak at a local business expo. And I think the book helped with that. Um, but in the mm-hmm. you used to have to pay to try and speak at some of these events. I now get invited to speak. Um, and I think the books helped with that, but yeah, if I had to start again with a marketing budget and it just be find ways to speak in front of the, the public, give, give your, give it away. And I think, you know, like you'll feel the dreams, give it away and they will come. Mm, absolutely. There is and- a lot of skepticism. I think about that if they get anybody in the post, but once you get them there, if you can get the, you know, the returns that, you know, I, I still hear bandied around. If you can get people to listen to you, as long as you're genuine, honest and share, you don't hide what you're trying to do. You, you give it away. I think, um, yeah, any opportunity I get to speak at anything public event, I will. Yeah, I, I'm I'm there for the business, and I will do that every day. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting as well that you also mentioned that the book has helped open different doors. It's not necessarily just about a lead generator. It's opened the doors to get in front of more potential clients, and sometimes an asset that you create in your marketing can actually have an effect that you ne- didn't necessarily anticipate happening. And, you know, there's, there's so much in that. And, and I mean, I I refer to that kind of thing as, as an authority bridge or your hook the way that you can sort of position yourself as, as that sort of expert and um, authority. And actually don't just say that you are a great financial planner or that you're, you know, you're a great accountant or you're a great, um, you know, marketing person, give it away and actually show it. Yeah. Because, there's so many people doing that whole me too thing or um, I wrote a blog a few years ago, which was something like, you know, are you like Roadrunner? runner um, because everyone's running around going meet, meet, meet. And that's the way that the messaging and the marketing is going out. It's talking about the business, uh, you know, when you, how, how great you are, the awards you've won and all that kind of thing, which is, which is nice and all the qualifications, Anyone that's going to be a client just sees that as a price of entry. It's like, how do you do something different? And what I'm impressed with is, is how you've done it differently and you've led with the client. You know, What do they want? What do they need? What's missing in the market? What's what's a problem that people are facing? And how would I go about solving it? And I'm just going to give that away. And I think that's a fantastic way of doing it.
0: Thank you. I, I, I mean, it was uncomfortable to start with back in the day when I first I had to present my very first one. I still remember, you know, uh, using the toilet many times in the lead up to it. But I think once you got, once I got used to it, um, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm doing this one tomorrow. I've pulled some slides together from various presentations I've done because they want a particular topic, and I'm not nervous at all because I'm confident that, you know, now it's just something you do. And I'm going to give top ten business tips, top ten tips for business owners, top ten finance tips for business owners tomorrow. They've got a couple hundred people at this expo. Um, I don't know how many attend my session because so I'm sure these other sessions run right at the same time, but I'm confident if someone attends, they will get at least one gem from me. And if, they, if it mm. goes on to save them some tax or help them plan for their future, them, then that's fantastic. And if one person makes a call and asks us to support my on that journey, then it was all worthwhile.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one thing that you touch on there is is something that's true for anyone that runs a business. And it's, it's, it's as much of you know, a journey of personal growth as it is business growth because – We all have to do things that we're uncomfortable doing. You know, I remember, yeah, the first time I stood in front of a video, first time I did a podcast, you know, you've got all those things going on in your head, but I I can't remember who it said. Somebody said, um, you know, the rate of your business growth is only matched by your personal growth. And if you're not willing to step outside that comfort zone, if you're not willing to you know, do things that may feel uncomfortable and push through them, then you're only ever going to remain at a certain level. And I think that's a great example with what you've said, said there. If you'd have stayed in that toilet and, you know, not put yourself out there, then maybe you wouldn't be where you are today.
0: Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I still am grateful to that. For, unfortunately, they're not around anymore. they got taken over as companies do and it didn't last. And I managed to get out just before it disappeared. But that, the fact the that they did those seminars, even though they didn't do it as well as that they could have done, but it was still a great marketing tool, and you know I, I took that with me all the way through. And then just going back to something you said there, I think um, one thing we talk about in the book is I, I would encourage every business owner to work with either someone like you from a marketing point of view, make sure they are getting support if they're not, if they don't enjoy marketing or it's not something that's natural to them certainly working with a mentor or a coach because I look back at all the different things I learned along the way from various people even around public speaking I think um, you should always be looking to someone to help that personal growth which in turn will help your business growth as you quite, you know, as you quite rightly say.
1: Yeah and there's, there's, a, there's so much um, in all of that as well. Um, you know, the, the, the value of mentors, the value of coaching, the value of focusing on uh, you know, what I refer to as your zone of genius because that's where you're going to get the biggest amount of leverage and get the support structure around you. And and every great business owner, you know, the strength is in their network. It's in their support system, because it can be a lonely place. You know, you're, you know, if it's all resting on your shoulders, then, you know, sometimes you look around and you're like, well, who's, who's there to support me. Um, And that's where the value of, um, you know, someone like you, I hope someone like me, or, you know, whoever it is that you choose to actually bring in um, to be part of that, you know, that inner circle, I guess, you know, that, that is going to, what is going to be what's, what's going to sort of push you forward and, 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 and force you to grow. Um, you know, you're only as uh, was that whole, you know, you are the sum of the five people that you associate with most, that kind of thing. Mm. So um, as you've got to where you are today, you've had an awful lot of success. What's your next goal? What, what challenges are you facing at the moment that, that, you know, you're looking to, to move through because, as we say, this is, a, this is a journey. It's not a destination. Uh,
0: so we've obviously got our internal uh, business targets. We've set a, a plan to 2022 of what we want to hit in terms of growth, turnover, and where we want to be, and that's quite ambitious. Cause, you know, I think if you're not going to be ambitious and set big numbers, there's arguably no point. But I suppose my personal goal, is I, I sort of come, as I've been questioned on it a bit more by my coach, funny enough, is I want to have helped. By the time I've been finished, I want, to million, I want to have reached a million people Mm. Um, which is why, you know, the book, contributes towards that, the public speaking, if I look back, I've probably, you know, a couple of thousand people over the years have attended various events I've spoken at. So I, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to track that number going back, but with the videos that we're now doing, I don't know if you to watch any of them, but we've videos on our Facebook and LinkedIn and all that mm. stuff that, um, you know, I want to have helped a million people is my sort of big, hairy, audacious goal in some way, shape, but not through directly through Penguin, just through reach of, Taking one of our guides, taking our books, and hopefully implementing something somewhere else. Um, yeah, sorry. Does that answer the question, or I gone? Yeah, bit?
1: no. That that, that okay. completely does. And uh, I would actually, I would, Yeah, no. I mean, I would, I The way I sometimes think about things is potentially you've already achieved that goal because what what ends up or what I think is when you focus on actually helping or your clients and the people directly what you never really see is the exponential impact that that has on other people and that networking effect afterwards mm. because to actually reach and touch and improve and help that million people over the last 20 odd years that you've been in business you've probably already got that
0: possibly yeah I, I, I think it'd be more like tens of thousands then hundreds of thousands but this moment in time but yeah mm. like you said you can't really me- I suppose you can't really measure that impact um yeah, but on on reflection, yeah, yeah, you could be right. But um, I think it. I always had this dream that I'd be the person who worked out how to make financial planning mainstream, mm. and I've kind of pushed that to the side for now because I'm still not sure how that when that'll ever happen. Because I think because of the sensationalisation of of the press with you know this typical headlines we still see now billions wiped off the stock market. We don't see another headline three weeks later saying billions back on the stock market. I think. <laughs> I think no matter how how good the work of some of the mainstream journalists are, I think we're still the best kept secret out there because first of all, people still, going back to misconceptions, people still think the financial planning is only for the wealthy. Mm-hmm. I disagree with that I think it, it's available for anyone who's in the, the mindset to save and improve their lives financially and understand where they want to get to mm. but yeah I, I'm not sure how I'll be the one to make it mainstream but I still have that ambition deep down so I think I've shifted to the million people because I think that's more controllable mm. but I'd still like to think I could be the person who maybe found the way to make financial planning mainstream and, and to the you know the public uh, public, percep- uh, public awareness more you know mm. Mm.
1: no absolutely and and it's,
0: it's certainly a,
1: a goal that is, it's valuable and it's needed because as, as I think, yeah, we've, we've covered there's, there's all sorts of problems that are bubbling under the surface that nobody's really aware of. Um, and then all of a sudden it's going to smack us in the face. And, uh, yeah, we're all going to have to deal with it. So, um, Craig, I just want to say thank you for, um, for your, for your insights, your time and, and for sharing your story. Um, you know, for, for anyone that's listening and, and you know resonates with all of this, is, is there anywhere that they could go to find out a bit more about you? Um, you know, Where's your book, for example, that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So penguinwealth.com is the website. If they go to the resource section, the the business secret, the wealth secret are both available as PDF downloads. If anyone wants a hard copy, e- email us, um, info at penguinwealth.com or craig at penguinwealth.com or any of the team's first name in front of penguinwealth.com. And we'd be delighted to send anyone the book. We're happy to you know, we're happy to, to do that for those who still prefer the old hard copy, but it's a PDF available to download. And for those interested in trust, our trust brochure, which has been our most successful guide that we've written over the years, and I give away most of the public speaking events I do, um, is certainly, uh, you know, that's available as a free download as well. There's lots of guides on the website. And then, as is the, the modern way... Videos available if you follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, the website, has got the videos, YouTube channel. You know, it's all. I couldn't give you the exact details, Adam, because that's what I have a marketing assistant in house for nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know that it's all out there, and you know, I've just written another couple of scripts ready for the next couple of videos, and our podcast will start in a couple of couple of weeks' time. We're just interviewing some business owners now. And we're going to similar to what you're doing. We're asking business owners to share their stories and their successes for other business owners.
1: Fantastic. Well. Um, I yeah, wish sure. you luck with that, and I, I very much look forward to um, yeah to, to, to hearing it when it launches. So um, yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah, I, I strongly recommend anyone listening to this to um, go and check out what Craig has got. Um, grab the book, watch some of those videos, and um, yeah, if it, if it resonated, if it resonates, definitely um, you know get in contact and, and, and have a conversation. So um, yeah, thank you very much again, Craig. Um, it's been it's been an enjoyable conversation. It's, it's opened my eyes to a few things and, um, I'm pretty sure that anyone listening is going to have experienced the same. So, um, Craig, happy fishing.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And, uh, just remember you and all the listeners pay yourself. Food.
1: If you've enjoyed today's episode, please help spread the word by telling a friend or simply subscribing and leaving an honest rating and review. It not only helps the show, but it also helps other business owners find the podcast so they too can start to catch more clients. So thanks for listening and see you next time.